And I think we see that in his writings that uh, he had a passion to see other people do what is right. He saw a passion uh, for people to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He he had a passion to see church members and believers edified and grown in the Word. Um, So today we're going to be talking about one of those passions of Paul. And if you want a title for this, I'm calling it Paul's Passion for Prayer. A lot of peas. We're going to have a lot of peas tonight. Um, actually, all the main points are peas. So hopefully it'll be easy to remember Paul's passion for prayer. Um, let's go ahead and start by reading verses 1 through 8. will be our passage this evening. So we're in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Let's go to the Lord in prayer real fast. Lord, we are thankful this evening that we can examine your word and look at these words of Paul. Pray that you would grow us through this time, Lord, that you would be with my words. Uh, Help me to only say the things that are pleasing to you. Fill me with your spirit now. I pray that you would uh, bind Satan and anything that he would try to do to distract from your word this evening. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, We'll start off the passage here with a uh, strong opening from Paul. He says, I exhort, therefore. I exhort, therefore. All right. So uh, again, we're going to go verse by verse just like we normally do when I'm preaching uh, and look at these um, sometimes word for word because um, that's a good way, to, good, way exa- good way to examine Scripture. I exhort, therefore. Uh, it's, uh, the word exhort is parakaleo, uh, from which we get the word paraclete. Um, it just means to come alongside and encourage or come alongside and urge someone to do something. But the idea of what Barnabas did for Paul when he came alongside him and encouraged him, built him up in the faith, uh, and kind of set him in the right course. So uh, that, that is, that's what he's saying when he says, I exhort, therefore, I exhort you. I, I urge you. Okay, he's, We're already seeing a little bit of Paul's passion through this opening statement. He's urging them. What is he urging them to do? Well... Let's read it. First of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. All right, so first thing that he is urging us is prayer for politicians. Told you there's a lot of peace. Prayer for politicians and people in general. Um, but, uh, but specifically, he's kind of focusing, focusing in on people that are in authority. 
uh, I don't I don't know if they called them politicians back in his day, maybe. Um, but uh, but anyway, that's kind of what we think of uh, when we think of people that are high up. Um, really, the, the words there, when it says um, people that are in authority, it's literally someone that is in a high place, um, someone that is lifted up in a place of authority. Uh, but but let's let's take this little by little here. Let, let's back up a little bit. First of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. Okay, this is what he's urging them to do. He wants wants them to um, pray in these ways. So we first of all have petitions. What are petitions? Uh, requests. Bringing your requests before God, and all of this is in the context of praying for other people. Obviously, we can bring our petitions for ourselves before the Lord. Uh, this is specifically talking about bringing your petitions um, for someone else. Excuse me, to the Lord. So, uh, petitions that your requests before God. Secondly, prayers. Um, these are uh, our desires. Uh, we are praying the Lord to do something on someone else's behalf. Um, it, it, is, it is our desire to see that done. So just little, little shifts, little shifts of tone here um, that makes it worthwhile for him to list all of these things. Um, if you're taking notes tonight, uh, it's going to be a, a little weird. Um, but first, first point, first main point is prayer for politicians. Um, and then under that, what is to be prayed? We're going over four different things here. First petitions, then prayers. Um, intercessions is next. Intercessions brings the idea of coming before a king with a request, coming before a king. Uh, and that's exactly what we are allowed to do as believers. We're allowed to come before our king, uh, come before someone of great importance, someone who uh, we, we, we really, in all, in all fairness, we shouldn't be allowed to go before him. Uh, but we have the righteousness of Christ that allows us to go before his presence, um, allowing us to make intercessions on other people's behalf before the king. Intercessions. Number four, giving of thanks. Don't forget this one. This one's important. Uh, so important that he, I mean, it, it's 25% of the command here. Uh, it, it's a fourth of what's being talked about is giving of thanks. And again, we are talking about um, this in the context of other people. Okay, so it says giving of thanks be made for all men. Um, and so this giving of thanks is not just being thankful for anything, but being thankful for the people that you're praying for. A uh, very important part of our part of our prayers there. Um, and uh, this is probably the easiest one to forget. Um, how often do we go through a prayer time and uh, we we don't even think about thanking the Lord or praising Him? Um, but as you look through the Lord's Prayer, there are definite segments of the Lord's Prayer where he says we need to be praising God, we need to be thanking him, uh, we need to be, be sharing those things with him. Uh, and he knows them, he knows them already, but that's the neat thing about our God is even though he knows it, he still wants to hear it from our mouths, still wants to hear it from us, from his children. So how often do we thank the Lord in our prayers? Uh, it's an important part. Petitions, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men. Uh, and going back to that giving of thanks, it's not just, um, it's not just you know, oh, Lord, thank you for this day. We hear that a lot, don't we? There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but sometimes the things that we say a lot become vain repetitions. Uh, we could preach a message on that too. Uh, we won't go too, too deep into that. But let's be genuine, genuine in our thanks to the Lord. 
Uh, let's, let's, let's bring our honest, uh, grateful hearts before him in our prayers. Uh, so, prayer for politicians. What is to be prayed? Secondly, who is to be prayed for? We got two examples of people that we are to pray for. Uh, first of all, all men. <laughs> that covers everybody. Uh, all men, everybody. There's not one person on this earth that you are told not to pray for. Um, so we are we, we are to we are given a very broad spectrum there. Um, but uh, God does want us to pray. Um, a lot more, I think, than we generally do pray. God wants us to pray in a broader category, a broader, um, a broader number of situations than we normally think of. Uh, pray for all men. Uh, and then it goes specifically in verse 2, for kings and for all that are in authority. All right, this is a hard one. This is a hard one. Uh, praying for kings and all that are in authority. Um, and this includes thanking him for them too. So, when's the last time that you've thanked the Lord for your governor? <laughs> when's the last time you've thanked the Lord for your president? Hmm, that, that hits a little bit close to home. Uh, when, and, and generally, when's the last time you've prayed for them? Uh, this, is a, this is a direct command in Scripture that I think we tend to ignore, don't we? Uh, we, it's, it's not an easy thing, um, especially if the person in authority is not someone you agree with. Um, but nonetheless, it is a command from Scripture that we are to be praying for them and giving thanks for them. Um, that word authority in verse 2, for all that are in authority, it's um, hyperarchy, which is um, similar to our English word hierarchy. Those that are in, it's talking about those that are in high positions, uh, those that, um, those that have that high position of authority. And you think of those people, um, and we we could have a dozen different people on our minds right now, but those people have massive targets on their back. Um, Satan is going to do whatever he can to cause them uh, to lead people astray because they're influential. Um, even our pastor here, uh, a lot of people following him. But as you, go, as you go out into the world and you find people that have influence over, you know, millions of people, um, some of them even billions of people, um, those people are the ones that Satan is trying to get to go down the wrong path, to do what's wrong, to make the wrong decisions so that they can lead all of those people astray, so they can have a negative influence in this world. That's why we need to pray for them. Because Satan is working harder to attack them than probably any of us. Um, and that goes for our pastor, too. He, he needs a special amount of prayer uh, because of the target that is on him from Satan, trying to get him to go astray as well, trying to, trying to mess him up, uh, trying, to, tr- trying to throw stumbling blocks in his way. Um, we are commanded to pray for them. Is this a big deal to God? Is God that concerned that we pray for those that are in authority and that we, and that we have a submissive attitude toward those that are in authority? Um, yes, yes, uh, a, couple, um, a couple verses here that I want to share with you. Romans 13, 1 to 2 says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. It's a hard thing to accept sometimes. 
especially when um, we don't agree with the people that have been set over us in authority. But all the powers that be, they were ordained by God. God allowed them to have that position of authority, and their authority is from God. It says, um, for there is no power but of God. God gave them that power. The powers that be were ordained of God. And verse 2 is a very strong verse. Again, we're in Romans 13, verse 2. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Some strong words uh, from, from God here. And it's very, very clear that he wants us to be submissive to those higher powers, that he wants us to thank God for them and to, uh, and to be subject to them. And we, this isn't the focus of the passage, um, so we're not going to spend a lot of time here. But you know as well as I do that there are exceptions to that. And if we are being asked to do something that's contrary to the word of God, uh, there is a lim- there's a limit to how far we can submit. Um, but many of us, many of us, um, I think, tend to uh, buck the authority more than we are given liberty in the Scripture. Uh, we, we need to make sure that we are talking honorably about our uh, people in authority uh, and that we are submitting to them and that we are, most importantly, thanking God for and praying for them. Why are we to do this? Okay, why are we to pray for everyone and for those specifically in authority? Why are we to do this? That's letter C. First of all, um, so that we can live a quiet and peaceable life. Look there in verse 2, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. That sounds nice. Quiet and peaceable life. That's what most people wish that they could live, especially in this world. You find a lot of people seeking after peace and quiet. Um, Wouldn't it be a lot more peaceful in this world if everybody prayed for the people that they didn't like? Yeah, it would be kind of a different world, wouldn't it? Uh, what if all the Christians in this world, instead of talking behind people's back, what if they decided that they were going to pray? Pray for those people. Instead of gossiping, they're going to pray. And instead of telling someone else how much they don't like so-and-so, what if they thanked God for them? Uh, it, it's a completely different mindset, a completely, a completely different aspect of life that we're opening up here. Um, but this is the exact model that God has set. This is, this is God's plan for the church. Pray for those that are in authority and pray for all men. Uh, don't, don't, be, don't be talking behind their back. Um, so it will give us a quiet and a peaceable life. Number two, we will live in godliness and honesty. And I love that. It's uh, um, just beautiful. There in the end of verse 2, in all godliness and honesty. So we will lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Uh, We know what godliness is. Godliness is being like God, uh, being righteous. Um, And so praying for others will help us in that endeavor to be godly. It will also... Um, help us to be honest. And that word honest um, has the idea of an honest walk of life. It could also be translated um, gravity, like graveness, or dignity. 
um, di- or dignified behavior. Um, and so walking honestly as the idea of walking gravely, walking, walking in a dignified manner. And again, that's not, that's not talking about our gait or our physical walk, um, but the way that we live our life in a, in a dignified manner. Uh, again, politics are a perfect example of how people be- can become undignified very quickly. Uh, when you start, start getting somebody talking about politics, you can get some very undignified responses. Um, but if we are praying for them, if we're following God's model, that's going to help us to be much more dignified in the, way, in the way that we live and godly in the way that we live as well. So it all works together um, to make us who we should be. So uh, why are we to do this? Help us live a quiet and peaceable life. We will live in godliness and honesty. And number three, and most importantly, it is good in God's sight. Verse three, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Why is it good in God's sight? Why is this such a good thing to God? I think it's because he is the peacemaker. He is the one, we're going to talk about this a little bit more later on, um, but he is the one that came to make peace. He wants us to live a peaceable life. He wants us to do the things that encourage peace. And so it is good to him that we make peace through our actions and through our prayers. Um, It is good to God's sight because he is the peacemaker. And that's our second point, our second main point tonight, peacemaker for prisoners. Peacemaker for prisoners. Prisoners. What are what, who? Who are those prisoners? Let's read there, um, verses four through six, and we'll we'll talk about this a little bit. Verses four through six. Who will have? This is God. We're talking about God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved, and to come into the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Okay, so he is the peacemaker for the prisoners. First of all, we look at his heart in verse 4. His heart, it says, who will have all men to be saved. In other words, it is God's will that every person be saved. And that's an incredible thought. God hasn't excluded anybody. God hasn't said, "Oh, um, you're not, you're not, uh, you're not smart enough, or you're too ugly to be saved." Uh, he he doesn't he doesn't have those requirements. He's, he wants everybody. He wants everybody to come to the knowledge of Christ. Uh, Ezekiel eighteen twenty three says, "Have I any pleasure at all?" This is God speaking. That the wicked should die. It's a great question. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his way and live? That's the heart of God. His heart is that every prisoner, every lost person who is in the shackles of sin would come to Christ and be freed. That's his heart. Let's look at his office, the peacemaker's office. Uh, Let's see, verse number five. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Okay, this is interesting. It's talking about Christ, that he is our mediator. We could also say that he is our intermediary. 
that's a long word, um, but has a slightly different meaning than mediator. Uh, thinking back to our Christmas cantata, enjoyed the drama a lot. You might remember it was a courtroom scene for our Christmas cantata, um, and it did a great job in accurate, accurately depicting um, a judge who was kind of a symbol of God the Father in some ways. Um, and this judge had been personally hurt by the defendant. He, his, his son had been killed by the defendant. Um, and um, he was personally invested in this. And we see that, you know, in, in, that, in that drama, that the judge, by human standards, he should have done everything in his power to put this man behind bars or, you know, fine him in a, a ridiculous amount. And he did eventually find him the full extent that he could and then turned around and paid it himself. Um, but in that, in, that, um, in that example there, if we were to take the judge as God the Father, then the defending attorney, the one that is trying to defend the convicted, um, that, that would be a symbol of Jesus Christ. As, um, as a lawyer, as a mediator that goes in the place of the witness between the witness and the judge and uh, defends him, uh, defends on behalf of the defendant. Um, this is a good analogy, how Jesus is our mediator, but it breaks down after a little while um, because that's not exactly what Jesus does. It's close but it's not exactly what Jesus does. He's not necessarily our mediator um, in, in the sense of what a lawyer would do. Um, but he, uh, see, see a, a lawyer, what he does is he uh, works out an agreement that's agreeable to both sides, um, and he tries to uh, defend, or um, usually he's trying, he's trying to um, prove innocent the one that is um, given the charges. Um, but Jesus Christ is not that. He is an intermediator, an intermediary who appeases the wrath of the judge by providing a payment that's pleasing to him. Instead of trying to say, oh, this person's innocent. No, Jesus knows that we're guilty. <laughs> He's not trying to defend us. His goal, is to, his goal was to appease the wrath of God. That's exactly what he did. Uh, Jesus is the only one who could come between us and the Father to form a relationship with him. He's the only one that had the ability and the authority to do that. And that is his office. He is our mediator, the one who bridges the gap between us and God, allows us to be his child. And, and we are just as guilty as the, de, as the defendant in our drama. We are just as wicked and filthy. Um, and we had personally hurt God with our sin, but but God, <laughs> but God chose to uh, chose to do everything, everything for us. Uh, he sent His Son. His Son suffered so much, so much for us that we could have a relationship with God. And Jesus is the only one that could do that. Um, verse six says, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Um, thirdly, under the peacemaker, uh, we see his sacrifice. His sacrifice. 
that payment was himself. The peacemaker gave himself. It wasn't, it wasn't a check. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a large sum of money. It was himself that he gave to appease God's wrath. It was our ransom to reconcile us to God. When it says that, um, that he gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, it's talking about a testimony here that Jesus Christ was for us. The sacrifice that he gave for us was a testimony to the incredible love of God for us. And that testimony has been spread abroad. It has been testified in so many different ways through what Paul is preaching here, um, through what our pastor preaches. That testimony has been shared uh, down through the ages in um, so many ways. Um, But it is a testimony to the love of God, how much God loves us that he was willing to do that for us. Titus 3, 4 through 5 says, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. It was through the love of God toward us that we are saved. Um, and uh, this is just a beautiful thing that we see from God to be that peacemaker, to bridge that gap, to make us children of God. So we see uh, prayer for politicians. We see uh, peacemaker for prisoners. Third, we see pattern for preaching, a pattern for preaching. Let's look at verse 7. It says, Where unto I was ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. This incredible truth about Christ, the love of Christ, the, the, the love that drove him to the cross, this incredible truth is the reason for Paul's ministry, and it's the pattern for Paul's ministry. It says that whereunto, in other words, um, because all of this happened, I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. Um, and so he is taking the love of Christ and the pattern of Christ and using that as a pattern for his ministry. And this love should spur us to share the good news as well. Um, when we think about the love of God, and all that he did for us, it should spur us to share the gospel just as Paul was. We began this message talking about the passion of Paul, and he was passionate. He was so passionate about getting the gospel to people that needed it. Um, and this is one of those examples. Uh, and, and, and Paul shares, shares, shares that passion that Christ had. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy... For his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. So just just one of the many verses that show the love of God toward us in, uh, in saving us. He uses this as a pattern of his um, ministry in two different ways. Uh, or two different ways that he shows here. In the end of verse 7, he says that he's a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. In other words, in faith and in truth. Um, 
And I think when he talks about these things, he is showing that he could have confidence, that he did have confidence that his message was the truth because he had experienced the love of God for himself. And that's why it keeps coming back to the love of God throughout this passage because he had experienced God in his life. He knew that it was real. He knew that this was a transforming power that would transform the vilest sinner. And so he can serve God in truth and in faith because he's experienced it himself. I enjoy, um, in some of my downtime, painting models. Uh, I don't know if we have any model painters in here. Um, If you sat me down with a sheet of paper and painting supplies, you would be sorely disappointed because I'm not artistic. <laughs> I, uh, I can't just sit down and draw something. It looks pretty, pretty awful. Stick figures, I'm okay at. But, um, but when I have a pattern to work with, like a model, and I can compare it to a real-life situation, um, it really helps. <laughs> uh, I can do a lot better job with that because I have something to compare it to. I have a pattern to work off of. Um, so I'm not artistic. I don't create things on my own, um, but I can follow a pattern. And that's what Paul did through his ministry. He wasn't creating anything new. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't providing this brand new doctrine. He was following a pattern. And that pattern throughout his ministry was the love of God. And he showed God's love through everything that he did. He was just sharing what he'd already received. He had, he had received the power and the love of God, and he wanted to share that with others. So that's the pattern for preaching. Number four, and our last main point here, is the posture for prayer. Posture for prayer. We're back to the topic of prayer. We started with prayer. We're ending with prayer. There was a lot of extra stuff in the middle, but let's see if we can parse that out and figure out what Paul is getting at by including all of that in this section here. Posture for prayer, verse 8. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. What does this posture look like? What is the posture of prayer? Uh, first of all, the po- this posture, um, it, we, are, we are commanded to pray everywhere. Um, in other words, in every church, in every local assembly, in every house of God, There is to be no single person in any church that is ignoring this posture of prayer. We are all commanded to do it. There's no exceptions. No one should be ignoring it. It should be everywhere, this posture of prayer. Secondly, he says we are to be lifting up holy hands. Okay? So, next time that you all pray in church, I want to see you lifting up your holy hands. (laughs) Uh, this is this is a um, allusion to um, a posture that they would use back in those times, uh, where uh, many of the local church, many members of the local church back in those days would lift up their hands. And uh, what what is this? What does this show? What does this symbolize? It's it's not just it's not just me trying to call attention to myself. Hopefully, uh, but yeah, I, I heard I heard one thing. I heard one uh, I heard one out there um, that it symbolizes submission. 
Um, that's exactly right. Uh, it, sim- it symbolizes surrender, surrender up to God. Um, we still use this as a sign of surrender, don't we? Um, surrender up to God, uh, holiness, uh, a life that is completely open to God, lifting up holy hands. So the emphasis here is not on the hands. I think we can get carried away with that and think, oh man, everybody's got to lift up their hands. Okay, not a bad thing to lift up your hands unless you're trying to call attention to yourself. Um, but the emphasis here isn't on the hands, it's on the holy. Um, and that word holy means unstained or unpolluted. Um, and that's what our lives should be. When we pray, that should be our posture, okay? Don't, don't worry so much about the physical part of that posture, but the spiritual part of that posture is a posture of surrender, a posture of holiness and openness before God, uh, complete submission to Him. Psalm 24 talks about these hands, these holy hands, um, in verses 4 and 5. Says he that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So, are we talking about people that wash their hands often? They are going to receive the blessing of the Lord. Uh, obviously not. This is this is a figure of speech that they would use back in their day um, to talk about someone who was holy and set apart to the Lord, that was completely submitted and surrendered to Him. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart—that purity—that's what we're talking about. James four eight says, "Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded." It's a call, uh, a very, very passionate call by James that God, again, God wants everybody to be saved. He's asking them, draw nigh to God. And what? He will draw nigh to you. If you will submit yourself, cleanse your hands, if you will completely surrender to the Lord, um, and don't be double-minded. That's an easy thing to do. When, when, we, when we encourage each other to be pure and to be holy and set apart, um, sometimes we are double-minded. Many times we are double-minded in this and saying, yes, part of my life is going to be completely clean, but I'm holding on to a few things over here. Um, or some of the time I'm clean, but when I'm at work, uh, I've got a job to do. Um, or, man, I just can't keep my cool or my temper around this specific person. Uh, we have a solution for that, by the way. It's prayer. Uh, we're talking about that. Um, but that's what it's talking about, be, being double-minded. Don't, um, we, we are not to hold back certain parts or certain times or certain situations. We are to be fully and completely devoted up to the Lord. And that's the posture of prayer that we should be in. Before we pray, let's make sure that we are surrendered, that we are in that posture. Um, And uh, lastly here, it's to be without wrath and doubting. That's at the end of verse 8. Lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Um, Wrath and doubting. Okay, so this is talking about um, anger anger in our prayer, disputes with other people, 
uh, having conflict in our hearts with other people. We should never be praying or ministering or doing anything else for that matter. We should never be doing that with anger and disputing in our hearts. We, we, we should never have contention between us and someone else because that's part of that being double-minded, right? We don't want to be double-minded. We want to be completely devoted up to the Lord. And if I have conflict with a brother, conflict with someone else, um, that is causing me to, uh, to, to err. It's causing me to sin, and I'm no longer completely set apart to the Lord any longer. Um, so this all kind of comes around full circle, what we're looking at here. Um, we, are first, we are first talking about the prayer for people, politicians, um, prayer for people in general, that that is the way to avoid having conflict and, and problems with other people. Um, and through that prayer, we see that we have a mediator, an intermediary, that bridges that gap and gives us a connection and a relationship to the Lord. He is the peacemaker. He gives us peace with God, and he gives us peace with others. He affects our relationship in that way. We see that Paul was passionate about these things, that he, he took that love that was shown from God, and he made it a part of his ministry. He made it a very special message that he wanted to get to everybody, sharing that love. So you, we're, we're seeing how all these pieces fit together. It's not disjointed. It all fits together because through that love, we can then share the love of God to those around us and be the example of Christ as the ultimate peacemaker. We can be little peacemakers in our, in our society as well, sharing the love of God with other people. But it starts with that posture of prayer. And I think it's neat that Paul ends this segment of 1 Timothy with outlining the posture of prayer because it just brings it back down to that foundation. What does our prayer need to look like? Well, it needs to be everywhere. We can't, we, we, we can't have some people in our church doing it and some people not. This is a call for everybody. And if you're not, it's causing disunity in the church. It's causing separation, and it's actually adding to the conflict if you're not one of the people that are praying. And so instead of helping this area of unity in our church, instead of, instead of helping with the peace, you are now detracting from it and creating conflict um, be, because your focus is different from everybody else's um, or, or hopefully everyone else is, uh, has, has the right focus there. Um, so in conclusion, if you take one thing from this message uh, and just one thing, I hope you take away the knowledge that prayer for our authority and people around us is very important to God. So important. Um, and he talks about it so many times. Prayer for everyone is important to him. And this prayer should be made out of a pure heart with no anger or sinfulness present. Um, it should not be double-minded, but it should be singleness of heart and full submission to him. Let's be a church that instead of talking about how awful people are, let's be a church that prays that God would change them. Instead of gossiping about somebody, let's start praying for them. Um, instead of talking behind people's back, let's bring those petitions before the Lord and thank God for them. 
And that will give us a completely different focus. It'll unify our church. It'll make us, uh, it'll make us caring for them. And it'll help us to share the love of God that we have received with those people as well. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful this evening for the pattern that you've given us in your word through Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate peacemaker, the one who shared love on this earth with everything that he did. I pray, Lord, that we would enter this time of prayer now, this evening, with the correct posture, that we 